Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20 minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today on Focus and Why, I am joined by Jason Hewlett. Hello, Jason. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you today, Amy? Oh, I'm really excited for this call. I've been waiting to record this episode ever since I heard you last year speak. And I was certain from that moment, I have to get you on the show. And here we are. So it's only taken a couple of months. It's not been that long since we last spoke. What is it you're up to at the moment? Well, at this very moment, you're my first call of the day, which is so cool because I'm overseas from you and you're kind of coming to the close of your day, beginning my day. And at the very moment, I am just enjoying being a dad and I am a full-time speaker. And so that allows me as a full-time dad and full-time speaker to meld both worlds and so I'm grateful to do that, and including having awakened the children this morning and doing some exercise. And so it's a wonderful start to the day. And has it always been a case of you being able to meld both worlds? Yes. I mean, I've had to learn how to make it work because, of course, when they were little, that was crazy time. And now they're in their teens, uh, most of the children. We do have four. So we have 16, 14, 13, and 10-year-olds, so it's a wild time, but it's the prime of life. And so, yes, I've been able to have both be really a part of it since the beginning, and I've been very grateful for that in my career. Uh, it is incredible to be able to be there and be present and also be able to run your business. So do you run your business from home? I do. Yes. And, and for the viewers, I, I do have, you know, the, the shades and things right behind me. So this is just where I do the work all day. It's just right outside of the front of the house. And I love that I can work from home. And a lot of people during COVID and the pandemic were freaking out that this was what they have to do now work from their house. How's it possible? Well, people like, you know, like yourself, I would imagine you've worked from home as well. It's just, Life is work and life is home. And then they just, the two shall meet. And it's wonderful, actually. I've done it for 20 years. Wow. So did you ever have another career beforehand or has this been your whole career speaking? Truth be known, I've wanted this to be my career. I started in Las Vegas as an entertainer there where I was a performer at, I've performed at every casino in Las Vegas and I was both a Ricky Martin impersonator, live la vida loca. <laughs> and at the same time, I'd come back to the stage dressed in a completely different costume, completely different look as Elton John. Yes, 
I was Sir Elton John. So I'd come on stage as the 1970s version of Elton and sing, you know, I remember when I was young, me and Susie had so much fun. La, 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 la. And then I'd switch into the 90s Elton with the Lion King. Can you feel the love tonight? So he had different voices through those decades. And I started my career as an impersonator, utilizing the signature moves of artists that all of us know and love. And after doing that show with what's called the Legends in Concert, I did that for about a year, traveled all over the world. And then I put together a one-man show of many, many, many voices and comedy, and I would add my own signature flair to it. So I became first, Amy, a after-dinner entertainer for corporate events, and especially the high-end ones in the Las Vegas casinos. And uh, that's how my career began. Isn't that wild? It's wild. And I'm I literally, I love the fact that you've already brought song into this conversation. I, there was <laughs> no request. I didn't need to eat to ask you. It was just naturally just part of the conversation. An impersonator of many voices. Who is Jason and what's your voice? Ooh, what a beautiful question. You know, as uh, that was a real challenge for me because right as I began my career in my early 20s, people would call me Ricky or they'd call me Elton. They wouldn't call me Jason. And that really started to get to me in the sense of myself saying, well, I have a hundred voices I can do. What is my voice? And so obviously what you're hearing today is the uh, is the accumulation of all the voices that I feel that I can do, but certainly the voice that was eventually meant to blossom. And that's what I've been able to create with my career. And so Obviously, if we have the talent to uh, mimic or impersonate others, it's a great gift. And equally to find our own voice or infuse our signature moves within what we do well, then we can certainly share something unique. And so I, I don't believe, Amy, that my voice is as, let's say, awesome as the Bee Gees or Rod Stewart. Have I told you lately that I love you? You know, in that sense, as like a pop star or a... Well, you can tell by the way I sing this song. I'm singing high, but not for long. Ha, 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 ha. Right? Those are their voices. And what's fun about your question is that as I've impersonated others, I've learned how to help everyone else discover their voice, their signature move. And in turn, that's allowed me to share mine. And so in bringing forth all the voices I can do, the essence of an artist, I can equally share mine. And my voice consists of sharing with folks what I call the promise. And if we don't share our voice with the world, as only we have, then we're cheating the world of our voice. And that's the promise. Wow. There we go. We, we, we've dived deep in already. And Cheating the world of our voice, what are the implications of that? Well, certainly we only have one shot at this life. And so if we don't share that which we've been gifted from, I believe, a God up above who expects us to find, discover, and share that which makes us uniquely who we are, then we've cheated the world of that which only we can deliver. And so in terms of us not doing it, we lead a life of lack of fulfillment. We lead a life of wondering what our purpose is. 
And so in that self-discovery process, in that true discovery of our why, as you like to say, I, I truly believe if we don't self-assess enough, if we don't fail enough to discover that which makes us uniquely who we are, then yeah, we've wasted our time on this wonderful planet. And I think we'll be held accountable for that as well. In my belief system, we'll be we'll be standing before a judgment bar someday and be saying, uh, yeah, I should have used that voice more. I guess I wasted my time down there. And I don't want to live that way now or be accountable then. And you're raising four children and 16, 14, 13 and 10. How is it that you are helping them to deliver on, on the promise or, or to find and discover and share their why in life? Amy, these are great questions. You're awesome. I love it. Yeah. So as a dad, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. And people told me beforehand when the kids were not even here yet that they were saying, you know, it's, it's a life-altering experience to have children because you get the opportunity to help them find their voice, to help them discover their why, their reason, their purpose, and to point them in that direction. And so as we give them opportunities, when they discover they have a gift, when they see that they maybe can create a skill from that, and it might turn into a profitable venture for say, or maybe just a powerful way to serve. The next thing we know, we're guiding them down that path, giving them every opportunity to succeed. And I love this process. Uh, obviously, between you and me, you're a coach, you're a speaker, you're accomplished, you love working with people that do the same. And you love to draw that out of them and help them. Now, for those that aren't parents, imagine this opportunity with little children that are malleable, that want to listen. I mean, they wanted to listen more before they were teens, for sure. <laughs> but equally, right now, when they see that I'm present with them, they see that I'm fully focused on what they're trying to do. And it's not for my gain. It's rather, even if it's the opposite of where I thought they ought to go, that they discover something in themselves, and then I just get out of the way. But I provide the vehicle to get them there. One of the biggest challenges I find is knowing that it's important to allow your children to fail. But it's a real paradox because you don't want necessarily for them to fail. You don't want to see the heartbreak and the difficulties and the challenges that they do going through that. But you mentioned earlier about self-assessing and failing enough and, and understanding how you can then find the opportunities and, and work from those challenges. So how do you as a parent allow your children to fail or do you? Oh, yes. We let them fail today. In fact, <laughs> when the alarm, uh, uh, they're, they're all supposed to wake up themselves. And we've been working on that for their entire lives. <laughs> and I easily, because I wake up every morning before 5 a.m., I could easily just run around the house and make sure everybody's awake. Uh, equally, that's failing them in their preparation for real life. And so, yes, there are days when I might say, okay, we failed enough this week. Let's try to make it to school on time this day. However, by keeping them accountable and asking them questions about, okay, we didn't make it to school on time this, this morning. What happened yesterday that made that a challenge for, for us? 
And what can we do instead tomorrow? And so instead of berating them or making them feel bad about it, we just talk about how we can make it so that that's part of our responsibility as a child. And just something as simple as waking up to an alarm for a child is a very important life skill and not catching them when they fall as a parent and excusing every tardy and those types of things. Now, that may sound like a very simple or even obvious answer, but for a lot of parents, it is not. And unfortunately, we're raising uh, we're raising children now, I feel, in our generational differences from perhaps our parents' strictness to say, let's just go a little bit easier on them. And if we do that, then we create a softer society. And I don't believe that that's of benefit. And so holding them accountable and holding myself accountable to those ideals is important to me. Yeah, I love that. And is, is that part of the promise? Almost definitely, yes. And it's difficult to get everybody on board. You know, if my wife and I see it differently, then of course we need to have that discussion. But we want to be sensitive to the challenges the child faces, of course. But equally, we don't want to allow uh, you know, mediocrity to creep in. And so the promise is very much about accountability. It's about saying what you'll do and do it. But equally, we also have to realize there is forgiveness within a promise. And we don't have to try to live up to perfection. We need to do our best to forgive ourselves, even when we do break the promise to ourselves. And when did you last break your promise to yourself? Oh, yesterday. I, <laughs> I've, I've spent probably two years doing this no sugar concept where I know that my body hates sugar. My taste buds enjoy it, but my body is inflamed when I eat sugar. And yet yesterday I took my wife out on a hot date and we went and ate some food. And at the very end, I, she said, I'd like to order the butter cake. And I said, well, I'm not going to have any, you know, and she said, I know. And then we're sitting there and she's eating it. And I went, well, I may as well try a little bit. <laughs> and I had a little bite. And for me, that's, it, it's kind of equal parts. It's okay to try it for a moment, but equally I have taken so long to not have sugar that I thought, well, that was a waste. I'll start again after I'm done here. And I took my bite and went, well, if it was better, I'd break the promise longer, but it's not. So I'm done. <laughs> so tell me about the forgiveness parts, because that seems to be a key element for you. Well, yeah, I had to come to that just because I am by nature very hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist. And when you're a performer, when you're a speaker, you're one of two camps. You're either too cocky or too humble. And if you're too humble, you get to a place where you're too scared to take the stage. And if you're too cocky, you don't listen to any assessment, even from yourself. And so I've had to find this fine balance of how can I forgive myself for a less than perfect performance? And that would be in the watching and assessing of that presentation and going back and saying, I did my best. That was okay. And I'm going to try again tomorrow. And what's really fascinating about this process, Amy, is that there are plenty of times where I've said, I'm going to try again better tomorrow. And then I do it tomorrow and it's not better. 
And I have to forgive myself of that too. And so part of the promise for me has not just been to hold myself accountable to this high ideal of being my best, but equally to be okay when I'm not my best and to be still proud of myself for the effort or still proud that I went to the gym in the morning, even though I was tired and barely did a good workout, there's still a promise kept there and there's forgiveness to the perfection that could be the ideal that could really ruin your self uh, appreciation or self-confidence after a while. So tell me about how you've got to this level of maturity in a, in an essence of, of self-development and self-awareness and, and, and how has that sort of manifested over the years? Well, I'm a, I would say I have it right here, actually, uh, for your viewers, I have a journal and I would say that journaling for me, uh, this, this process is fascinating. And as you, you can see your listeners obviously can't see, but the, these are gigantic full pages of handwriting. And I started this journal on, let's see, July 24th and finished it on January 24th. That's almost 200 pages that are humongous. I think eight by 11 huge pages. Why do I share that? Because the journaling process is of the essence in terms of discovering for ourselves what we're accomplishing or what we're missing, what we maybe can be bogged down with negativity. And I do like the concept of saying, I'm going to just, well, let's put it this way. If I eat something poisonous, I need to get it out really quickly. I don't want to hold it in. And so when I have a poisonous thought or a poisonous action that I've done that was a mistake, I can then write it in the journal. That is my self-awareness piece. And then within the forgiveness of the journaling, it becomes gratitude. It becomes um, happiness and joy. And how do I then take this mess that I made of my day or myself or missing an accomplishment and turning it into something great. I love the journaling process. Uh, some people might have a therapist and I've done that in the past as well. And that's been very helpful, but a daily journaling process is a gift to yourself. And I do that in the morning. So my morning routine is wake up, work out, come back, do my journaling, stretching, read scripture, pray. Then I get the family up. I mean, the kids have to go to school around 6.30, so you imagine how early I have to wake up to do all of these things. And uh, that's just another promise made and kept. But then the journaling process is really that, that space where I say, what, wasn't, what did I do yesterday? What wasn't good? What can I do today that will be great? And then before bed that evening, I'll then reassess just in my mind, looking up at the fan and say, how did I do? as I'm doing my evening stretching or as I'm reading my, my book and I'll look up and say, okay, how did I do? What promises can I make tomorrow that I broke today? Yeah, I love that. And journaling is so powerful. I, I've been doing it ever since I, I started on the 6th of December, 2016, and I've been doing it every day since. Ah, oh, good for you. Yes. Yeah. And the journaling, um, I know you're the interviewer, but how did you come to that? Well, it was a reading Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. Yes, I love that book. 
I think I'm living that book finally. <laughs> well, you you describing your morning routine definitely so- sounds like his lifesavers. The, the you know the, the scribing, the exercising, the silence, the, the the visualization, everything you're doing sounds like you know that as a practice. How did you arrive at your practice of journaling? So it's embedded within my culture, and I grew up in a religion and a faith where they recommend it from the age of eight years old, and so. I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, became a member of my church at eight. And the next thing I knew, I'm writing in a journal about the experience. And so to catalog our family history, really a book of remembrance, if you will, of your life, to be able to then look back at that until you're eight years old from the time you're what now I'm 43. That's pretty fascinating. Uh, obviously, I wasn't faithful to that practice every day as a child, (laughs) but it really came into fruition when I was serving a mission for my church. And I moved from Utah, USA to a place called Brazil. And I learned Portuguese and I was there for two years and I was trying to knock doors and tell people about faith. And that was a real huge challenge. And so outside of prayer and communication with the person I was assigned to hang out with every day for two years, we had different companions that were strangers that we lived with and became our friends and missionaries. We, uh, the journaling became our therapist (laughs) and then realized the great value and benefit of having a journal there that you could vent a little, share your thoughts about your, your day and your history, and then move forward, say, I will do better tomorrow. I will forgive more. I will be more uh, of the type of person I want to become. I love it. And have the kids adopted this practice as well? Yes, actually. My daughter is very faithful to it. She's our 16-year-old. And I believe I have walked in on her randomly uh, in in the evening when I thought she was asleep and she's sitting there writing in her journal. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. And the boys, I think boys don't really catch on to this until a little later, but the boys will. And, uh, you know, we've we've just been through a process a couple of weeks back of setting some New Year's resolutions, some goals and promises for the new year. And so just that process in and of itself can recreate or reopen for a child. Hey, let's let's keep doing this journaling thing. It's a pretty cool process. Well, I think it's incredible and I wish I'd I'd known about it. I mean, I used to write a diary when I was a kid, but it was just sort of scratched couple of lines of what I did that day. You know, it wasn't necessarily anything of of the relevance and, and the depth that you're describing of where you can practice the forgiveness and the gratitude, the happiness and the joy and, and get out those poisonous thoughts. I did read a while ago, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is an incredible practice or 12, I think it's a 10 week or 12 week process that you can start because then you then form it as a habit, but it's, it's fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. There are, there are wonderful books about it. And a friend of mine, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, personality isn't permanent and other great books. Uh, I mean, there are, there are so many different ways to open that book and just start writing. A lot of people think they do need to just catalog what happened the day before. And maybe that's a good place to start, but you could open up your journal. And if you haven't written in years, just say, I'd like to forgive myself for not having kept up with everything. But today I start a new promise and I'm going to keep up from here. And this is what's happening in my life. That's wonderful. 
And off we go. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And I, I did actually train as a journal therapy coach back in 2020, just because it is just such a great practice. So I really, I do, yeah, oh, I advocate wow. it to all my clients. So all my coaching <laughs> clients. So, oh, amazing. So let's just take you back to where you sort of had that self-discovery of, of your why and, and talk about the and how you focus on it. So what's the mission? What's the vision? What's the, the why and the focus? How does it all piece together? Well, if we were to step back to where the Las Vegas uh, story was in my early 20s, I'm putting together this show of comedy and music, impersonations and voices, Christmas, Christmas time of night, doing the chipmunks and weird stuff. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And people were hiring me, paying me great money. I'm performing in casinos around Las Vegas. And I was offered a casino offer to be a headliner, which is a really big thing. That was a, a huge dream and goal of mine. But when the goal that we have doesn't match up with the promise we made that fits within our value system, then we have some choices that come down to being life changers. And interestingly enough, I had made a promise when I was a youth, probably through the journaling process as well, that I would always stay with my faith and I'd stay with my value system. And that was more important to me than fame or other, you know, financial gain. And so when presented with the opportunity that would change my life, sitting across from a casino owner saying, you'll be next, you're the next big thing in Las Vegas. I realized that their promise to their audience was different than my promise to myself. And when those two worlds collide, one has to win. And in this case, I walked away from an opportunity of a lifetime in order to keep a promise to myself, keep my, my presentation, as it were, a presentation for children and for families that they could all enjoy together. That wasn't what was needed at that time for that uh, opportunity. And so uh, there's a reason why a lot of people haven't heard of me, and that's okay. And so I can stand in firm authority regarding promises in that sense, in terms of what opportunities do you have at work that you might be willing to turn away, even though you might have financial gain, but it means uh, not having as much time with your family, or it might actually be against your integrity that you need to say something or do something within the workplace that you know is absolutely not in alignment because our integrity is our harmony. And I believe that when we make and keep promises to ourselves, then that allows us to make and keep them to everyone else, whether it's our customers, our clients, our audience, our family, our team members, our friends, ourself, that's where it begins. And that's what I call the promise to the one. And so as I was performing all around the place as a after dinner entertainer for corporate events, a G rated show for families and it worked great for corporations because they don't want anything racy or questionable. Eventually I realized what I was doing as an after dinner entertainer was also powerful in the sense of being a leadership speaker that I could shift it into being a keynote speech in the morning. And I could also make more money, have more impact as a keynote speaker than being the after dinner entertainer. And so eventually made that big shift, created the promise, which 
we call the promise the engagement experience, which a promise is the highest level of engagement we commit to in any experience. And I have created a message that's really resonated with a lot of audiences because I'm adding in the music, I'm adding in the comedy, my signature move and voices, and then helping leaders discover their leadership promise, their signature moves, and that they too have a voice that they can share. And if they don't, they're breaking the promise. That's how I came to this, Amy. It's been quite a career arc. And yes, I, I may be young in terms of how can he be speaking on such a profound subject of promise? How, how much life has he really lived? <laughs> but the truth is, if we have something to say and we feel that we would drive any distance to say it, that that is a part of a message that we must share. And that's a major reason for my why. That's a bit of a mic drop moment. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I, I was wondering when the values would pop up and, and they have. And do you have core values that you could share with us? Oh, certainly. I mean, I, I believe in, I believe in this, the nucleus of family, that that's the most important part of society. I believe in loving our neighbor. I believe in going the extra mile. I mean, everything I'm saying is you could read in uh, scripture somewhere, obviously, that's already been taught. But I believe those things, and I do my best to live them. I believe that when you say you're going to do something, you do it. I believe that uh, some of my core values would be even just us getting on this podcast today. I mean, you sent me a few things that you needed from me. And I turned around and got them to you rather than you having to hunt me down and beg and plead for an email response, including today, emailing you about an hour prior just to make sure we're still on board. Those types of simple communication tools can help both of you, both of us, you and I keep a promise to each other and to this audience. And so in my preparation, I have core values of saying, I'm going to go and do my homework. I'm going to be ready for the test. The performance is not the place where I'm going to be impromptu uh, because I'm unprepared. I can do impromptu because I'm so prepared and I keep the promise every performance. Love that. Tell me about the leaders that you've helped to find their signature moves and their promises. Tell me about what they've gone on to do as a result. Oh, it's been really fun to watch as, especially as there are two different camps, I would say. One is the, I am a CEO and I have built my business and I'm now selling it and I'm going off into the world and I help them discover their promised legacy project is what I call it. Um, what are they going to do with the rest of their time, money, health, etc. Because usually they're over 60 years old when that kind of wonderful experience happens. And so I help them create a better speech, help them write their book, the things that have been on their to-do list that's been way too long for them to not have accomplished it. And then there's the other camp of the young speaker, the person who says, I know I have a message. I know I have a voice. How do I create this? And I help them to identify, clarify, and magnify their promise and their signature moves. And so we just help them identify all their traits, talents, skills, and gifts. Then we help clarify that through 
uh, refinement process and then help them magnify it. As I've watched young speakers and older people becoming speakers or writing their book or building their business, as you know, the benefits of coaching, because you're a great one, to watch somebody bloom from a place where they had a hope and barely an expectation, and then for them to make a living at that which they are awesome at. I don't know what's better, Amy. I mean, it's very much like that whole parenting thing. And that's where I feel so lucky as a dad to get to be a father, but also with these coaching clients that I have and have watched people that have had no career whatsoever. Maybe they're in pharmaceuticals or sales or accounting. And they come to me and say, I want to do what you've done. How do I do that? And I say, well, this is a very simple process. You know, I can show you, but you have to put in the work. It's all up to you. I can just give you a few insights and you've already got it in you. That's the power of what you've got. We just have to pull it out and you have to be willing to share that promise. It's a wonderful thing. And it is that self-belief, isn't it, that you, you're instilling into people and you're empowering them to just go with their with their why, find their why essentially and and bring it to fruition. And you talk about identifying, clarifying, and magnifying. And you earlier you were talking about impact. What's the the living legacy going forward now? What's the the impact that you would love to make? These are big questions, my friend. And yes, <laughs> the impact I want to make is certainly based within the people that I've influenced already. And I want that to continue. Of course, I'd love to write more books, and that's on the docket. I have the book, The Promise to the One, which is the promise to ourself. That's the first in many that will be coming forth. But the, the true legacy is within the people that we serve and that we help discover their signature moves. And so very much like Napoleon Hill with Think and Grow Rich, where he really was an exponential leader because he was able to help process what the process is to becoming rich. And it's a much deeper book than people give it credit for with its title. <laughs> but I want to be a person like that, who people can look back and say, man, he really did what he'd said he was going to do. He helped me to achieve what I wanted to, and I'm able to keep my promise because I interacted with him. And absolutely, we look at the rich element of that title, and and people naturally assume that it's a money a money element, but actually, it's a you know a rich, fulfilling life. What would you rewrite that title of that book as? Aha! Oh, that's a great question. I would just call it the promise, just because that's simple. <laughs> That's really what that book is to me, the the promise to be awesome. <laughs> that's a, that's a 21st century rewrite. There, there you go. Just send it in and say, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I love that. You have some great questions, Amy. I do a lot of podcasts. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to make it fun. You know, that, that's, that's what I, I absolutely love. I podcasting. I never knew that I was going to be doing this as my main activity during the day. You know, who knew that I was going to be a, a coach podcaster, 
maybe five years ago I did not you know it's it's something I've been doing now for three years absolutely love it I've done about 400 podcasts and I know what works and I know what doesn't work as well and part of it is just building the great rapport and having a lot of fun and the fact that you brought that energy right at the start you know that thank you because you were straight into the singing and, and you brought your a game to the table so that makes a big difference. Oh, that's sweet of you to say. And and equally, I love that you're doing this and going all in on it. You know, so many people would tiptoe in and say, well, I don't know. But here you are pushing, making it work, going after guests you want to hear from and talk to. And you're establishing an incredible legacy. And I love that you're doing it. Good for you. And hopefully, as your listeners are going, hmm, what is mine? Because obviously, they're asking, what is my why? I know that. But equally to say, gosh, I can take inspiration from the host and from the guest. And what can I do rather than just listening? Go make a commitment to do it. And you will be so happy. That is the true message I share is how to just have more fulfillment and happiness in life is by making and keeping the right promise. And there we go. Another mic drop moment. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, it really is. It's been an absolute pleasure and I don't want this to end. I'm just trying to think of another question that I can ask you before we, we start to wrap up. And I think that I tell you what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask of all your hundred voices and of impersonation, who do you love being the most? Who do you like getting inside their sort of psyche and their act? You know, it, it was Elton John for a long time because I was really trying to embody the genius of this man. And I, I never quite captured the essence of him because you actually cannot. He's just too, too deep. And I, I fear that it was almost a parody or satire that I was leaning on. And uh, that was a disservice to him, even though it was a comedy show. And so there were artists that I really enjoyed leaning into, such as the Michael Jackson character or the Jim Carrey character or Billy Joel at the piano with the harmonica character. Um, th there is one character that I have become very well known for, and it's actually viral videos all over the internet because of it. But I, as a child, saw the movie Jurassic Park and there was a velociraptor. And because I'm known as a guy who can sing and do impressions through music, this piece really came out of left field within my act. And this was part of why Las Vegas, the casino owner said, hey, we need to change up your act because a lot of what you're doing is very childish or it's mostly for families. We need it to be more refined and we need it to be more adult even and, and just a little more risque. But this Raptor piece was just so funny and silly. And I found that people freaked out in the audience after I had done all of these great voices like Unforgettable, That's What You Are by Nat King Cole. And then I had all of a sudden become a Velociraptor, fully committed 100%, doing the big eyes and the, and the, the face and like... And I'm running through the audience and people are scream laughing, like, what just happened? <laughs> For me, that is still the embodiment of the promise, because I'm one of the only people I've ever seen that has done that for 30 plus years since the movie Jurassic Park came out. And 
that I was willing to go up to an audience member and right in their face and everybody was laughing and it was not harmful, but it was over the top. It really is pretty much the embodiment of what I deliver, which is yes, over the top. It's surprising. You, you look at someone like me and you go, well, I don't know if he can entertain us. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Or I don't know if he has a profound message because he's an entertainer, but then what the heck just happened? He's a stealth philosopher on the promise. Then the Raptor, you know, people are going, what just happened? The element of surprise, Amy. I think that's my favorite embodiment of a character. And I'm sorry that answer was so long, but that's what it is. Oh, well, I, I'm delighted it was because, you know, again, it has captured the essence of you and that's what you were essentially talking about. And I think that it, it shows all the different elements that make Jason Hewlett, Jason Hewlett. So thank you for sharing that story. It's brilliant. Jason, how would people get in contact with you? What's the best way to reach out? LinkedIn is really where I'm playing the most these days. Of course, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm trying TikTok, which is crazy. I don't even know how it works. Um, YouTube, I have a channel that people love to go just sit and watch all the videos of funny mixed with the promise messaging. But uh, yeah, I would say LinkedIn's the best place. And then of course, jasonhewlett.com is my website. So those are the best places right now. Perfect. We'll get the kids to show you how to use TikTok because I think we could all benefit from absolutely seeing you on TikTok. I love TikTok. I think it's fantastic. But thank you so much for coming on Focus on Why. It really has been a wonderful conversation. So, and I'm delighted that you said yes. So thank you. What would you like to say and leave our audience with today? Well, I'd just like to tell them that each person that's listening has a profound gift. Maybe not just one, but many. And if you haven't identified those yet, the gifts that we seek to identify are the ones that we keep and qualify. And so take the time by opening a journal or just a notepad and writing down what you feel you're good at. What are your talents? What were you sent to this earth to discover and to share with others? Now clarify it with the people that you trust, your family, your friends, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your clients. Say, hey, what makes me who I am? What do you see that makes me unique? And within that identify, clarify process, now you can magnify your promise, which are your signature moves. If you do not share them, you are cheating the world. And you have to remember that you have talents I don't have, and I have talents you don't want. No, I hope that you'll take courage from this podcast today and say to yourself, I, I am committed to finding my why, to coming up with my signature moves and sharing them as only I can. And I will, in turn, keep the promise. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or join the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.